So a number uh, of months ago, I was preaching uh, a message uh, here in this church. Um, nobody else will have me. And um, <laughs> after I finished preaching, I was approached by a member of the congregation. Now, I won't say um, who it is, because that um, wouldn't be very fair to them. But they came up to me and they said, Dan, can I have a word? And I said, of course. Of course you can. My best kind pastor face <laughs> on and they, they continued, they said, yeah, I was, I was thinking about your, your word this morning, what you, you said to us. And when they said that, my, my brain lit up. I thought, yes, it's finally happening. Something I've said has, has impacted somebody's life. I thought maybe they feel challenged. Perhaps they're going to tell me that their life will never be the same because of the, the word that I preached that morning. I thought maybe they're going to tell me they want to enter the ministry, you know, follow in my, my footsteps or you know, maybe become a missionary, or I just got really excited for them in that moment. And obviously I'm a professional, so I, I remained calm. I said, yes, <laughs> go on, inside thinking, tell me. Tell me, my child, how I've inspired you. <laughs> and they said, um, they said, yeah, I was thinking about what you said this morning, and, and uh, if you like, I can help. And I thought, okay, it doesn't quite sound right, but, you know, go on, go on. And they said... Well, you mentioned about needing to lose weight, and if you want, I can work out an exercise program for you and help you stick to it. And I thought, yeah, fair enough. What's happened there is I've inspired you to change me, not, not the other way around. It turns out I'd made a passing comment to my weight in the sermon, as I often do. And um, they, they were true to their word, and they, they were very, very good. They helped me for a good while. They worked out a routine, and they texted me every day to make sure I was doing my exercises. And it was really, really kind of them, and I'm very grateful to them. Um, the trouble is, when it comes to physical exercise, I just don't stick with it long enough for it to make any difference. But today, in the passage that we're going to be looking at, we're going to be doing a different kind of workout. Not a physical one, but a spiritual one. So let's dive in. Um, this is week nine of our studies in Philippians and we're currently working our way through chapter two if you'd like to find it in your Bibles. We're going to pick up where we left off last week which was um, around verse 12 and I will put the words um, up on screen as well. Um, this is what it says, Philippians 2 verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God that works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like them um, you will shine among them, sorry, like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, so this is what we're going to do this morning to help us get our heads around this passage. This next section of Philippians, we are going to turn into a spiritual workout program. 
If you were here last week, we did English Lit and Maths. This week, we're moving on to PE. Um, so what I need you to do for me this morning is I need you to imagine me in some kind of Mr. Motivator spandex outfit. Okay, it'll help, or it'll keep you up at night. Um, just be glad I didn't actually wear one of those. <laughs> you remember him. He was great, wasn't he? Anyway, um, right, step one of the spiritual workout program. Workout in the body. So most fitness programs involve some sort of body workout, upper body, lower body, core, legs, arms, face, um, whatever. But in this program, the workout is not in our body, but it's in the body. That's the body of Christ. Yes, you got there ahead of me. Um, Paul writes to the believers in Corinth, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you has a part in it. So our workout involves others. It's not a solo effort. Paul begins in verse 12 by saying, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. Now, chances are, in your Bibles, you will have a subheading between verses 11 and 12. In my Bible, it says, do everything without grumbling. It's probably similar in yours. And all this means is that at some point, somebody decided that Paul has changed the subject, and so they inserted um, a title there for us. However, in this case, they are wrong. We know they're wrong because Paul begins this section with the word, therefore. So we know that what he's about to say to us here is linked directly from what he has just finished saying. And what he's been speaking about is humility and obedience. If you cast your minds back to last week, here's the super scientific graph we made. You'll remember that Paul presented Jesus to the Philippians as the supreme example of Christian conduct, which of course he is. That's why we call ourselves Christians, because we follow Jesus Christ. He's not the only example that Paul uses in this chapter. He also speaks about himself, as we'll see later on. He speaks about Timothy um, and Epaphrodites or Pappy, to his friends. And we're going to look at those in the next few weeks. But the best example, the best example that Paul has of humility and obedience is Jesus. He tells us that Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to death, even death on a cross in verse 8. And so we can clearly see the link between these two passages. Christ was obedient. You too are to be obedient. And actually, he commends them. He says, you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now how much more in my absence. And there's an encouragement here from Paul to those he was leading. He's essentially saying, I know I don't have to worry about you because I've seen your obedience in the past and I've heard of your faithfulness even now that I'm not looking over your shoulder. I recently came across a, a wonderful quote from an American basketball player called John Wooden who says, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. And Paul had confidence that the Philippians were leading a life of obedience outside of his direct supervision. Steve is um, away today, you may have noticed. He's put his confidence in me to lead in his absence. So far, all the buildings are standing. We did burn a small hole in the lawn at the youth barbecue on Friday. Please pray in the coming week. Um, but as a leadership, we encourage you in your relationship with God to live your lives for God each day. But ultimately, it's up to you. We don't follow you around. P 
peering through the office window or anything like that, checking up on you. Your faith is your own and your obedience is to Jesus and not the leadership of this church. He's the one you need to give an account to. And Paul says, you're doing it, you're being obedient, that's good, but you need to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does it mean to work out our salvation? The temptation, I think, when we read this passage is to take it personally. My salvation, I need to work out what my salvation means to me on my own. But if we do that, then what we're doing is ignoring the context of this passage, of what Paul is saying here. You see, in this section of the letter, Paul is not addressing individuals. He does later on, but right now he's addressing the church as a whole. And there are two reasons we know this. Excuse me. Firstly, we can see it in the flow of the text. Remember, originally there were no chapters and verses. This was just one big, long letter. And he begins this letter by thanking them for their partnership. He goes on to say that he's praying for them, that he loves them. And then he upstates them on his current situation, in chains, under guard, awaiting trial, but happy because the gospel is being spread. And even if he meets his end here, even if they kill him, he's going to be with Jesus, so it's all fine. But then he turns his attention to them, to the Philippians, to those he's writing to. He says in chapter 1, verse 27, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened of anyone who opposes you. And then he continues the same thought into chapter 2. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So there's a theme There's a theme running through this letter, and it's unity in the church. Strive together. Have the same love. Be of one spirit and mind. Look out for each other's interests. This is the flow of the text, and he's continuing here in this passage that we're looking at today. Secondly, all of the verbs in verses 12 and 13 are plural. When Paul says, work out your salvation, he's using the Greek word heautu, which is better translated as yourselves. Work out what salvation means amongst yourselves together. In the words of High School Musical, we're all in this together. That was for the young ones. I don't know about you, but whenever I try and um, work out, do exercise on my own, it's, it's rare that I stick with it. My, my willpower fails. But when I exercise with others, when I'm involved with a team, I'm far more likely to stick with it. The fittest I've been in the past five years is when we were training for the National Three Peaks Challenge, because I knew if I didn't train, then I'd be letting um, the rest of the team down. So working out in the body, it helps us become better followers of Jesus. Paul holds up the example of Jesus, someone who was perfectly humble, perfectly obedient, and he says, now strive for this together. Encourage each other. Meet this goal together. Work together to obtain this. Because this is what your salvation looks like 
and you are the body of Christ. If the humility and obedience of Christ are not being displayed amongst you, his body, then something has gone wrong. In fact, he says there should be some fear and trembling about this. We have a responsibility for each other that we need to take seriously. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul puts it this way. And I'm going to read it to you from um, the message paraphrase. He says, Chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God has picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered and content with second place, quick to forgive an offence. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate kindness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another. Use good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail of your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus. Thanking God every step of the way. Because you see, here's the thing about your salvation. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's a journey with Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, not I am the destination. But it's not a journey that you need to make on your own. You have your Christian brothers and sisters to help you on the way. You see, I think one of the best tricks up the devil's sleeve is to convince us that we've failed so completely that we are no longer worthy of Christian fellowship. And then when he has us good and isolated, he finishes us off by saying that we're no longer worthy of Jesus. And we believe it because we look around and we see that we're on our own. But it's a lie. It's a lie. We've all failed and fallen short. And we all continue to fail and fall short. We're all in this together. So let's help each other live out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's hold each other to account. In love, of course, always in love. But let's challenge each other about our behaviour. And you know, if you're struggling this morning with some secret sin in your life, don't keep it to yourself, but share it with someone that you trust. Let them pray for you and help you to live in the freedom of your salvation. Because if you go it alone, the lies of the enemy will get louder and louder until the point where you start believing them. Paul goes on to say, it's God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is at work in your life. There's no question over that. If you've accepted Jesus into your heart, he will give you, through his spirit, the desire and the ability to live for him. But we still need to put the effort in. We still need to work out our salvation and work it into every area of our lives. Paul writes in Galatians 9, Let's not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. That was the graph last week. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. This is our practice ground in here. If we can't love each other in here, how are we going to love people out there? Don't become weary of this, because this is our spiritual gym. This is where we work out in the body, where we spot each other, where we cheer each other on, where we push each other to do better, where we say, put down the hamburger, 
and pick up this healthy snack. Hopefully you're still tracking with the metaphor. But we need to help each other work out our salvation. We need to work out in the body. Okay, on to step two. Let the world see those gains. Have you ever noticed the more somebody works out, the tighter their clothes seem to get? Here's an example. I found this image um, on a website called Bro Science, and um, it was part of an article entitled Gym Guy Hospitalized After Tiny T-Shirt Cuts Off Circulation. <laughs> it's amazing what you can find on the internet, isn't it? <laughs> You'll be looking it up later. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know if it's just that they don't make T-shirts for people that are that body shape, or if people are just really proud of the way they look. I, I have my suspicions. Um, but the point is that you can see the results. Paul goes on to say in verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the words of life. The message says you provide people with a glimpse of the good living and the living God, which I quite like. See, the point of working out in here is so that people out there can see the difference. We need spiritually tight T-shirts. There's a chance at this point that, much like the T-shirt, I've stretched the metaphor too thin. Um, but just go with me, all right? I know it's a bit weird. Paul's challenge in these words is that we as believers are to show the world how things could be. And he's really super practical about it. He begins, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. There's very little wiggle room in that, isn't there? Everything is fairly all-encompassing. Um, so we are not at any point permitted to grumble or argue. Why might that be? I mean, everyone likes a good moan now and again, don't they? My children are next level moaners. It's not fair. Why do I have to eat my chicken, tidy my room? Earlier in the week, I asked my daughter to get dressed and comb her hair because we had guests arriving and she turned around and shouted, I can't comb my hair. I'm not a hairdresser. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that? Actually, I better not tell you what I said. Um, you know, Paul turns the Philippians away from grumbling and arguing because it displays the opposite attitude to fear and trembling. Think about that for a minute. You know, grumblers, they like to complain about everything, don't they? Mutter under their breath, tut a lot, shake their head, roll their eyes. Ooh, it's like a lot of sighing involved. For the millennial, grumbling has found a new life on social media. We have new and exciting ways to complain to the world. You can post things like, oh, you won't believe what's happened to me today, or oh, what a week, and then you watch the comments roll in. Arguers, on the other hand, are always out for a fight, looking to force their views, shout the loudest, assert themselves any way they can. It's my way or the highway. And again, the internet has provided a wonderful outlet for this. There are plenty of people out there with controversial opinions just waiting to be challenged so that the argument can begin. And you see, grumblers and arguers, they display the opposite attitude of Christ, who Paul has already told has made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Grumblers and arguers are only out for themselves, wanting the world to know what injustice has befallen them, what right has been violated. Meanwhile, Jesus gets on his hands and his knees and washes the feet of his followers. 
Jesus hangs on a cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the Apostle Paul himself, he could have complained, he could have bemoaned his situation. Oh, here I am in prison again for this. But he doesn't. Instead, he says, you know, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I'm going to keep on serving. I'm going to keep on serving until I meet my Saviour. And so part of the way in which we train together should be to discourage grumbling and arguing, to take a stand against gossip and slander, to challenge each other when our motives are less than holy. Paul says that we're to become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And interestingly, that, that's a quote that he's quoting. It's from Moses. Moses used it to describe the nation of Israel just before his death. It says in Deuteronomy 32, 5, they are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. What were the nation of Israel famed for doing after Moses led them out of the Egypt? Complaining, grumbling, moaning. God literally provided them with bread from heaven and they said, oh, in Egypt we could eat all the fish we wanted. There were cucumbers and melons and onions. We're starving out here. The only food we have is this manna. It magically appeared from heaven. Paul's saying, don't be like the rest of the world. Paul's saying, if we can live this way, we'll shine like stars in the sky. A reference to the book of Daniel. Daniel being the best-named prophet in the Bible. You might not know that. Daniel 12.3 says that those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Let's be honest, the point of the t-shirts is to stand out, right? In the same way, Paul wants us to see that the way we lead people to faith is by showing the world that we're different. We don't assert our authority by arguing or stamping our feet, but we serve a world in need with the love of Jesus. So, we work out in the body, we show the world our gains, and finally, and perhaps most importantly, we keep our eyes on the prize. Everyone has a goal when they work out. It might be to lose weight. If you join Slimming World, you have to set a target weight. I found out they prefer it to be less than your starting weight. <laughs> Your goal might be just to get fitter, or you might be training for something specific like um, a marathon or like the, the mud run that Becky and Simon and, and Stu did a few weeks ago. But the important thing is that as you work out, you don't lose sight of your goal. And Paul knows this, so he concludes this section by saying, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even though I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So in these last few verses, Paul is coming back round to himself and his ministry. We need to remember, of course, for Paul, ministry was a whole life thing, not just a, a couple of nights a week. It says in Acts chapter 20, Luke records Paul saying, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul had his eye on the prize. He was determined to finish the race. But here's the interesting thing. Unlike most marathons, this isn't a grueling slog. Paul is speaking about joy, about happiness in these verses. He says, even though I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and the imagery behind this is that 
um, when the priests were making the main sacrifice, the animal carcass on the altar um, set alight, there would be a smaller sacrifice made of a drink poured over it and the smoke would rise with the main sacrifice to heavens. And my guess is that in Paul's mind, Jesus is the main sacrifice. And his life is a smaller sacrifice made alongside. But he says, even though I'm being poured out like a drink offering, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. And this fits so beautifully with everything that Paul has said in this section. Because you see, the world's philosophy is that joy comes from getting your own way. Asserting yourself, fighting with anyone who gets in your way and struggling to the top. But the example Paul wants us to focus on is Jesus, who never used a sword or a weapon, or commanded an army, or forced himself upon others. He didn't even consider equality with God something to be grasped. And yet, he won the greatest battle in history, the battle against sin and death. He beat hatred with love, he beat lies with truth, and because he surrendered, he was victorious. Paul says, I'm going to do the same, and you guys should join me, because it's great. And there's actually, there's two opportunities that Paul talks about here. Firstly, there is the joy to come. He says in verse 16 that he will be able to boast on the day of Christ that he did not labor in vain. You know, when you finish a marathon, you get a medal as a way of celebrating your victory and not feeling like the last year and a half of training was a waste. Um, But in this race, the prize that Paul wants is the Philippians themselves. He wants to see them again in glory. He He knows he may not have the chance here on earth. And so he says, hold firmly, stick with it. So when the day comes, he can say, guys, you made it. You're here. He can turn to Jesus and he can say, look, I told these people about what you did for them. I showed them you, Lord, and now they're here with us in glory. How amazing is this? You know, I've got, um, I've got a growing suspicion that when we get to heaven, we might look back at our earthly existence and think, why did I spend all of my time doing that? I think there's a lot of stuff we could spend our life doing that just isn't going to matter when we get to heaven. But there is something we can be doing that does matter, which is sharing the love of Jesus. Can you imagine the joy that you will experience when you get to eternity and someone taps you on the shoulder and says, thanks, thank you, I'm here because of you, because of what you told me all those years ago, because you were kind to me, when Owen House was, when you showed me what the love of Jesus looks like in person, when you went out of your way to serve me and then told me about the Saviour, I'll tell you what, that's a prize worth pursuing. Jesus said it, it's recorded in Matthew, he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The second opportunity for joy in these verses comes um, in verse 17. It says, he's glad and rejoices with all of you and you should be glad and rejoice also here and now, in this moment. There's a point when you begin exercising where you start to notice little changes in yourself. You find you have more energy, you become more alert. You might even find that you begin to enjoy the exercise itself. It's weird, I know, but it happens. And Paul's point is that although this sacrificial way of living seems counterintuitive, it truly is the way to happiness. Jesus' way is the best way. Who'd have thought it? Many of the greatest minds in history have attested to the same. Um, St. Francis of Assisi said, For it's in giving that we receive, 
Gandhi said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Einstein said, only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. And Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And Paul is recorded in his Acts, in Acts as saying, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it's more blessed to give than receive. Christian life isn't the easiest one, but it is the road to happiness. The more you live your life in the service of others, the happier you will be, the more joy you will have until the day that your joy is made complete in heaven. So there you have it. This is your new um, spiritual workout plan. You can stop picturing me as Mr. Motivator now. Step one, workout in the body. We're all in this together. We're on the same journey. Our salvation, if our salvation has gone a little bit wonky, we can help each other out. If you're struggling, ask for help. Because, you know, these guys, they're your spiritual spotters. They're going to help you stick to the plan. Help you see the race through. And we need to take that responsibility seriously. Paul says fear and trembling. We should be concerned about each other's spiritual health, spiritual well-being. Step two, let the world see those gains. Wear spiritually tight t-shirts. Stay away from grumbling and provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. The Apostle Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone that asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But people aren't going to see the hope if it's hidden behind complaints and moans and grumbles. And finally, step three, keep your eye on the prize. We do not run or labour in vain. You know, many people do. Many people live their whole lives struggling for happiness and never find it. But we find it in Jesus. And we find it in serving others in the hope that when we reach eternity, there will be people there because we have had the boldness to tell them about him, about his love for them. I wonder if the band would uh, come and join me back on the stage. I want to pray for you guys as we close this morning and we're going to sing a song as well before we go. I haven't, I've been a bit resistant to sort of giving you actions and things to go away and do yourself because, you know, it's good for you just to pray through this scripture and maybe just ask those sorts of questions of, am I spiritually healthy? Am I living my Christian life with others? Am I encouraging those that are around me in the right way? Do I need encouragement myself? Do I need prayer myself? Am I living in such a way that when people on the outside world see me, they recognize that there is something different about me? Or do I just blend in with the rest of the world? Have I got my eyes on the prize? Or am I fixed on the the here and now? Let's just pray.